0: I'm all
2: right, Tom.
3: How are you? Hey, Lucky day, Mr. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program.
2: Good morning, Tom. How are
3: you doing? Hey, at
4: least I got the Tom part right.
0: Stay tuned, because it's on now.
1: The Tom Sumner Program. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at taxpayer expense. I
0: know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives So let's all hang in there, and please, stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk about kids, but in a uh, different way from our previous hour. We're going to talk about uh, the Impact of Mass Incarceration on Kids. Nearly 3 million children in the U.S. have at least one parent in prison and how that impacts them. And a new book called Dream Catchers is uh, what we're going to be talking about with author and prison rights activist Amy Friedman, who joins me by phone. Amy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Tom, and good morning.
3: Um, Amy, I'm really fascinated by how you came to be doing this work. Um, Can uh, you
1: explain that a little bit? Happy to tell the story. Um, It it, it started many, many years ago. Um, I was a newspaper columnist, um, and there's a very long story to this that I won't bore everybody with, but as I was working inside prisons, writing about prisons, I met and fell in love with and married man who was in prison. And I raised my now ex-husband's daughters. Um, in, in those years, um, raising two kids who had a dad who was incarcerated and, and becoming a prisoner's wife, I learned firsthand the, the impact of the stigma that incarceration has on people who love people who are inside, and particularly on, on the girls. Um, ultimately my, my ex and I divorced, um, but I have never divorced the girls and, you know, who are kind of the loves of my life. Um, and one of the things that always broke my heart about them was, um, their, their feeling that because of stigma they had endured, that they needed to keep everything about themselves secret, about the history of their life, about their father, about, um, about anything personal. And what that led to was feeling isolated, um, depression, anxiety, struggles in school. One of my daughters dropped out of school, high school. Um, and, and that just continued for many years. Ultimately, after we divorced, if I can just go on, I, I remarried and I married a man who um, is a high school teacher And what I discovered, you mentioned that 3 million number. Um, This is a statistic that kind of takes people's breath away. But in the United States... And I suspect it's
3: higher in some cities.
1: Well, 1 in 14 children in the country has a parent who is or has been incarcerated. So that means every single classroom, everywhere, um, has a kid or two or ten. Um, yeah, and and certainly it's higher in in poorer communities. It's higher in communities of of color because we over incarcerate those populations, but um, but they're everywhere. And my my husband, Dennis, who is the co-founder of the organization we started, and I began to talk about wanting to provide support for these kids to create a space where they felt safe and they felt supported and they learned that they weren't alone and that they were able to share their stories with each other. So that organization, it's called Pops the Club, um, we launched eight years ago, almost to this week. And... um, and out of that organization and the kids we serve has grown these anthologies that we publish each
3: year. And and I want to talk about that and 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 some of the uh, stories of of some of the people that that have contributed to the uh, to the book. Some of the the young people. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm still very curious because, um, and and speaking of stigmas, I would think that there is a certain amount of stigma attached to falling in love and marrying someone who's in prison that, definitely. that <laughs> um you know there's <laughs> there's there's this notion that that there must be something wrong with a woman who is attracted to in the first place someone who's incarcerated
1: yeah there's definitely stigma attached and um i mean i i um dealt with that for many years. I, I have written a book about it, <laughs> um, about the experience to partly, you know, I, I am a writer and, and part of writing that memoir was for my, for me to better understand the whole journey. Um, but I do wanna say that the thing about people in prison is that in addition to their having, in most cases, committed a crime that resulted in their incarceration they are also people, and um, and you know what I what I I fell in love with a person, not with a prisoner. If that makes sense.
3: Well, it it does, and, and I think we need to explain that a little bit more because I I think a lot of people um, who aren't personally connected to someone who is or has um, served time mm-hmm. just assume that everybody in prison is a serial killer
1: yeah people do assume that um you know the the serial killers and the sort of high profile criminals are the ones who get the media attention right um, but there are a lot from, of
3: people who are in prison uh for drug offenses uh mm-hmm. you know we've We've uh, kind of replaced our mental health system in a yeah. lot of communities with putting people yeah. in jail instead. Yeah. And yeah. and there are a lot of things about prison reform that deserve attention. And, and I think it's important to mention those things, even if it's somewhat in passing, to remind people that uh, not all people in prison are bad people.
1: Right. I tell you, one, one young woman, a 13-year-old who's in one of our clubs, was being interviewed with me the other day, and she said, my dad did a bad thing, but my dad is not a person, bad person, and I love him. That sums it up. You know? It, it, it uh, really
3: does, and I did want to mention, because you brought up uh, POPs Clubs, that POPs is an acronym for uh, Pain of the Prison System. And you started with one club, but it has grown to, what, a, a dozen or so? It has.
1: Its, we're now in 19 schools oh, wow. in five states coming to Michigan. <laughs> one of these days we're getting to Michigan. Um, I, I grew up in the Midwest, so I have a, a special place in my heart for Michigan. Um, you grew up in Ohio? I did. I did, and
3: you have a special place in your heart for Michigan.
1: Well, you, you know must what? have been everyone an outlier family, even there. Everyone <laughs> in my family went to school in Michigan. Everyone ah. except for me, and we had all kinds of friends in Michigan. I spent lots of time in my life all over different parts of Michigan, and my beloved brother and sister-in-law um, lived for many years in Michigan, and their family is still there. So those. I have a lot of connections to your state.
3: Well, I'm I'm glad that you're going to bring this program to Michigan, and I think it's uh, it's going to be a win-win because I I think you're going to find when you come to Michigan a very rich and deep talent pool.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know that. I do know that.
0: Yes.
3: Um. And and that actually kind of segues into the book, Dreamcatchers. The new book is a collection of Essays? Poetry? What it's, exactly?
1: It's poetry and essays and stories and haikus and artwork. Um, paintings, drawings, and photography that um, is created by the students across the country. This book represents work from um, young people in, in four of the states we serve. We We opened clubs in Alaska recently, but after the after this book was already in, in process. Um, and, um, and they're beautiful. And there's, you know, the reason for the books. there are two reasons. One is in the clubs themselves, we, there, we do a lot of art. We do a lot of writing and creating artwork, um, among other things, among conversation and sometimes guest speakers and so on. But, um, and, and I, have for many many years been a memoir and and personal essay teacher and what I what I learned over the years was how healing the experience of writing one's own story can be for people who have gone through any kind of trauma um so partly it was to to heal the kids but also it um I know these kids and I know how much wisdom they have and their stories and what they have to say is so important for the rest of us to hear. Um, so that was why part one of my dedications once we launched this organization was that there would be a book that came out into the world each year. So And that we'd get it into everybody's hands and, and people would be able to read what these kids have to say.
3: Does having a... a- parent incarcerated um oh I know what I want to ask you and we have a break coming up in a couple minutes so I'll get to the other thing on, on the other side of the break if you can stick around for a few minutes of course, of course. the um, uh, what I was uh, going to ask you is um, in uh, starting this program if what was I, now i lost my train of thought trying oh to get,
1: i'm so glad other people do that
3: <laughs> <laughs> um what i want to ask you uh and, and it's it's going to be a, a longer conversation than we have time for is um whether or not you think that having a parent incarcerated oh i know what the question was um the man that you married and you raised his kids and he Mm -hmm. was incarcerated where were the kids before you took him if he was in jail and single uh
1: they lived with his mom um and and moved in with me not immediately the older girl moved in with me immediately um when we married but the younger one moved in with me a couple years later um So there was, there was an extended family around, um, uh, and they have, they have lots of love in their lives in the family. Um, but, um, part, part of moving in with me also was it enabled them to be closer to their father. He was incarcerated not far from where I lived and far from the rest of the family.
3: Ah, well, that makes sense. Um. I, as I mentioned, I have to take a short break here. But when we come back, I want to talk about how having parents uh, that are incarcerated might hold kids back from, you know, a, any kind of success that they might uh, be yeah, worthy of.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
3: uh, like I said, that's we're going to get into that after the break. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So stay tuned. More right after
2: Everybody's this. doing a brand-new dance now.
4: Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Program.com. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And
3: hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with um, the uh, uh, author and prison rights activist, uh, Amy Friedman, and she joins me by phone. Amy, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through that.
1: No, I, I enjoyed it. I actually feel like now I'm part of the community. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um,
1: Amy, in the
3: last uh, segment, we sort of introduced the idea that there there are impacts of mass incarceration on kids who have parents uh, that are incarcerated, one or more of their parents. Um, and And you are the founder of Pops the Club, which is... Pain of the prison system, and, and there's a new book called Dreamcatchers, but we'll we'll get into that as we can. Um, the impact of mass incarceration on kids. Do kids who have parents in prison tell people they have parents in prison? Um,
1: you know, before I answer that, I just want to say one thing: that we also serve. Um, at, we're, we're serving kids who are impacted by incarceration as a result of having a loved one. So there are also kids with siblings and, you know, uncles and boyfriends and girlfriends. So I just wanted to clarify Fair. that. Yeah, good, um, good. But, um, and your question is a good one and, you know, kind of difficult to answer with a broad strokes because obviously each kid's different, each family's different, each story's a little different. Um, as a rule, um It's not something people talk about. Um, And there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one is, as with my daughters, um, often when my kids were very young, when their dad first was arrested and went to prison, they endured things like um, friends, parents who wouldn't allow them to come visit their homes because they were tainted or whatever. So they, they absorbed that concept of them and, you know, and, and it made them nervous about letting anybody know. So that's that's one thing that happens. Um, not to everybody, obviously, but um, there are others who sometimes are so angry at the person who's become incarcerated. Uh, one little story, there was a young woman who came to the club when she was about 15, and she kind of... Her friend convinced her to to reveal this fact to me privately, which was that her brother had been arrested when she was 11, and he'd gone to prison, long sentence, and she had not spoken to him since. So it was four or five years since she'd spoken to him because she was so furious for what she felt he had done to her. And in the course of being involved in POPs, she, she started by writing a letter to him that she wasn't going to send. And once she started to sort of unleash those feelings she had, she sent it to him. And they started a correspondence and they reconnected. You know, um, there are other kids who, this is one really telling story, is the very first club meeting in the very first school, which was Venice High School in Los Angeles. Um, The first girl who walked into the room was a 10th grader and she, there always is food at the club meetings, so she walked in and she took her sandwich and she sat down and the second girl walked in the room, another 10th grader, and they looked at each other with such astonishment because they had been close friends since they were in kindergarten, the kind of friends who visited each other's homes and who told each other secrets about boyfriends and stuff. And they had never told each other one secret, which was that they both had a father who was in prison, and when they discovered that, you know the the they were like, "What are you doing here? What are you doing here?" Right, and right. suddenly, you know suddenly that heavy secret they were carrying around was listed
3: one, one of us must be in the wrong room
1: <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you here yeah. you know and and um you know i i there are there are young people who are open about it or who can't help but be because word is out in their community, but it is not a conversation that is had in schools. It's not a conversation most teachers know how to have, right? You know, it, as you said earlier, if you don't know someone in prison, if you haven't had that experience, you don't, you have kind of images from movies or whatever, and, and you don't know that, that these are people, and they have families and loved ones. And um, one little story the other day, also one of the principals from a school that we work with in Georgia was on an interview, um, and she said um, that one day when she, she she had been a principal for a while, and she got a letter from a dad about his son's grade. He was concerned and wanted to know what he could do to help his son, and that dad was writing from prison. And she, the principal said a bulb, light bulb went off in her head. And she thought, oh, he's in prison, but he's a dad and he cares about his son. And so when she heard about POPs, she brought it into the school right away because she knew there were all kinds of kids in her school that would, meet, would, would benefit from the support of the organization. So this, the stories are myriad um, and people react very differently. You know, It depends on what the relationship is with the incarcerated loved one. It depends on what family is insisting one do. It depends on all kinds of circumstances. But by and large, it is one of those kind of little secrets people carry around.
3: Young people who have uh, a loved one that's, that's incarcerated, um, who puts the greater stigma on them, the community around them or them themselves?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, I think ultimately it's a very internalized experience. I think ultimately, you know, it doesn't take much to make people feel like they need to hide something. So what we've found in the pops clubs is, you know, the school culture itself begins to change when a club opens, because people start to recognize the issue, right? And sort of go, oh my goodness, you know, I never knew Johnny was dealing with having to go to prison visits or that Jessica was having to travel a hundred miles to go see her brother, or you know on and on and and the empathy grows so but the internalized shame i guess is is what what is most difficult to overcome
3: now as as we mentioned in the last uh segment. Um, you m- married a man who was incarcerated and ended up raising his children. Um, that seems like somewhat of a daunting task, Amy, because you have <laughs> all of the problems of being the new not-my-mom. <laughs> and, 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 the evil stepmother, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And And then at the same time, trying to address the hurt these kids were feeling
1: yeah yeah well i have to say i am a really fortunate person and was surrounded by friends and colleagues and family who drew the girls into their heart and who supported me um i had a job i um it, you know, it, it was not easy, but I was really fortunate, and I had kind of every imaginable, imaginable support that I could have to, to raise them. I certainly was sometimes the evil stepmother. You bet, <laughs> Look. and again, well, probably am um, to this day.
3: But, well, that's but, that's kind of in the job description, Amy. But right, um, right. But but. What I guess what I'm leading up to is how much of your experience bonding with them and uh, helping them deal with with their feelings informed the mission of Pops.
1: Mm, all of it. All of it. Um, I. You know, as I said a little bit earlier, I, I it ached for me to see them being so secretive and carrying this weight around. And and you know, as a writer and someone who believes strongly in kind of speaking your truth, um, I I would encourage them to try to be more open. And and I would tell them that I knew there were other kids in their school who were going through what they were going through, but. They really resisted believing that. Um, and um, I, it hurt me so much to see their pain. And Imagine and that, kids.
3: Amy, kids that don't listen to their elders. Yeah, imagine.
1: <laughs> imagine. I'm, imagine I'm not shocked. listening to your sub-mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but w- when you know, when I started to realize what the numbers were and when I started to meet kids who were not my own, um, but were such beautiful, vibrant souls and were dealing with this, I, I, I just, the, the, my daughters kind of were there always as a voice in my head. They always are. Um, and um, And then, and now, Kind of hundreds of other daughter, daughters and sons who have come, who have, I've had the honor to know are always there. So, you know, when kids come back, when kids have graduated and they come back and they say, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have gotten through high school if it weren't for pops. Or, um, what one young woman I was talking to yesterday, when she first came, she was 14, she was a ninth grader, and she had just months before in middle school been arrested for beating up a girl on campus. Her dad had been in and out of jail her whole life. She was angry, she was kind of brimming. You know, some kids respond with depression, some with anger, some with violence, some with drug abuse, you know. There's all kinds of different ways to, to respond. She was, she was really bursting with anger and brilliance and, and Pops, through Pops, she started to write. She's a beautiful, beautiful writer, and she started to publish, and that made her feel prideful, and um, and she started to heal, and she is now, she was the first person in her family to graduate high school. She graduated college, went on to university, is graduating university, and is in the midst of applying to go to law school. Um, so you know, and says that the reason she's okay is because she had the Pops family and all that support.
3: What constitutes healing?
1: Um, get, uh,
3: and I'm not uh, trying to put you on the, on the yeah, spot, yeah, but, but you said she, the word. <laughs> she, she began to heal, and, and it occurred to me all of a sudden, what does that look like?
1: Well, what it looked like was no longer did she, you know, this particular girl really would have temper tantrums and she'd storm out of school, right? She'd leave school and maybe not come back for weeks. Um, It starts to look like, oh, I don't need to just blow my top and hit somebody or hurt myself by, by losing my educational opportunities, right? It starts to look like I may get angry, but there are other ways to deal with it we We do some mindfulness work in the clubs um you know, so she learned to meditate, she learned to write she learned to to take those repressed feelings and to express them and so she it, it's not that she never gets angry i mean obviously well, um, sure <laughs> we all have those moments right but but she uses her. Somebody told her, she said this once, and I think it was in a poem she wrote too, that that her anger could be seen as a beautiful exploding volcano that was full of energy, that she could use all that energy to do good things for herself. And she sees herself that way now.
3: And how much does the POPs program, and again, this is something that... Uh, um, maybe we should explain a little bit. It's uh, an acronym for Pain of the Prison System, and it's called POPs the Club, and it's a school-based program. That's um, right. Where do you find the, the people to run this program? Obviously, you can't be in five states.
1: Right. Another great question. So we um, each club has a leadership team that is the center of which is either one or more teachers or counselors and or counselors in the school. Um, Because to have a club, you need a club sponsor. So, um, And we train those people and then support them. Um, And then we also provide outside um, guest speakers and also regular volunteers. So as you mentioned earlier, there is all this talent in Michigan. (laughs) <laughs> you know we would we would be looking for teachers and counselors and teaching artists and other people interested in volunteering to to run a club meeting once a week um, and to be trained and supported by the organization um, in Georgia, where we have the most number of schools um right now besides Los Angeles um we have a partnership with community and schools and through that partnership, we we are able to um, work with community and schools who then lead the clubs inside the schools and find the clubs and create create the beginnings of those partnerships. So, each state has a little bit of a different model, but um, and we're as an organization, I have a really great staff and I have a great board of directors, and we're working on the strategic planning for for growth because. As simple as the program is, it also is nuanced. So we want to make sure that before, you know, like before we open in all the schools in Michigan, <laughs> we want to have the infrastructure so we can make sure we support them.
3: And but that that raises a couple of questions. One is about funding, but the other one is, how do kids find their way into the Pops Club?
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll start with the second question because it's a great one and. Um, there are, two, there are two rules in POPs. One is that nobody is sent. So it's not a club where, you know, that the school counselor goes, oh, Johnny's trouble, and it's because of dad being in jail, and he, we're going to send him to this. It, it's always self-selection. So kids find out about it. Um, we, there, there are numerous ways we spread the word, which I can talk about, but um, A lot of it is through the anthologies that that we make available to the schools so kids can read about, you know, read what other kids have to say and read about what the organization is. And the teacher sponsors will announce it to the schools. We have flyers and and posters and things like that. Um, The other important tenet is that nobody needs to say why they're there. So you don't have to walk into the room and say, hi, I'm here because mom's inside. And you can come in and say, this is meaningful to me, and sit down and have a meal. I'm, and I'm
3: Amy, and my ex-husband was
1: in prison. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So so it's, it's like, it sometimes takes people time. We, it's not kids. like
3: an AA meeting.
1: No, no. And, and, and yet, sometimes there are elements because if kids want to tell their story, if they want to speak, if they want to write something and then read it to the group, um, they can. They're invited to. They're welcome to. They're encouraged to, but they're not required to. Um, So we've had a lot of kids who have come the first time and said, well, I'm just here because I'm hungry, and we don't turn them away. And um, often, Maybe a week in or two weeks in or three weeks later, they go, well, yeah, I'm hungry, but I mean, the food's not that great. <laughs> so <laughs> like, if they come back again and again and again, then we know there's something more meaningful for them. And, and sometimes it takes – there was one young woman who was in one of the early clubs at Venice, and she came for four years letting us know she was there to support her friend who was in the club. Which was fine, and when she graduated, she reached out and said, "Oh, and by the way, all that time my mother was in prison, I just wasn't ready to talk about it." So, different different kids have different trajectories along that road, um, and you know, sometimes there, I'm thinking there were another two young men uh, a couple of years ago who. They kept saying, you know, well, well, we're just here because we want to be supportive. But it turned out that later (laughs) we found out that their cousin had moved in with them um, because and, and they adored her. She was quite young. And the reason she'd moved in with the family was because her father went to prison and they were looking for ways to provide her support and understanding and to understand the whole experience of that their uncle was having. So the, there's a lot of a lot of iterations of what what the community is going through. The
3: how does the the POPS program actually work? How how are you able to draw out of these kids self expression and and put in self respect?
1: Um the to the second part of that, the self respect happens almost instantaneously, Tom. It's quite extraordinary. The minute I mean, really, usually within a week of walking into a room where there is so much respect in in the room, you know, kids kids come in there a little trepidatious but then they see like oh my gosh there are all these other people who share some part of my experience
3: and they all seem like they're they're fairly normal
1: and they're kind (laughs) yeah and they're normal and they're the kids they've been going to school with forever but just didn't know they happened to share this experience um and and they're smart and funny and and the meetings you know the meetings so they meet once a week they're they're pretty short because they take place at lunch hour in most schools. Yeah. In some in some cases they're after school and in some they're before school but in most of them they're during lunch. Lunch hours in schools are pretty short so they don't last a long time but, but and they're all very different because they, it depends on who's in them and who's running them. You know the personalities are different, the personalities of the schools are different but they all share this sense of this is a safe place to be. Um, to the first part of your question, which of course now I'm forgetting. It was about <laughs> funding. Oh, funding. So we currently are funded entirely by um, individual donations and foundations and some corporate partnerships. And um, one of the goals is to make sure the schools and school districts do not have to pay for this. Um, that is possibly going to change over time, but school districts don't have a lot of money. And um, so at at present, I, I will say our publishing program is funded by an amazing angel donor who has been a really blissfully, kind donor for many since our since our founding actually um so now with the we've we've just this Dreamcatchers is the first book that we've been able to put out with a national distributor and part of the goal of course is to create a funding stream to support the growth of the clubs and to support the continuation of the publishing program
3: my guest is uh, amy friedman amy i have to take another break here can you stick around we'll talk a little bit more
1: Absolutely love to.
3: Okay. Amy is the founder of POPs the Club. POPs stands for Pain of the Prison System, geared toward young people who have loved ones that are incarcerated. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more with Amy right after this. Hello there, citizens.
1: Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay
3: dangerous. Darkwing Duck
4: out. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.
0: Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom
2: Sumner program. This
3: is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. We're uh, talking uh, this hour with the founder of a program that. Uh, It helps kids that are impacted by mass incarceration Uh, her name is amy friedman she joins me by phone amy welcome back thanks for sticking around thanks a lot um we were talking a little bit about uh funding before we went to the break and and uh before that about how kids find out about the uh, pops clubs um but i want to talk a little bit about the book and uh, it's called Dream Catchers, and it's a collection of work produced by kids that are in these programs and the programs exist in uh, schools uh, in in various forms uh, around the country and and it's uh, growing to more and more places um, the 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 book uh Dream catchers is uh what um put out by Woods Press came out uh this month and who is it you're hoping will read this book? I mean how much of it is is cathartic and how much of it is is really about social awareness
1: Well great question. Um I just want to say it's out of the Woods Press. So and the oh, the I'm website sorry. is out I, of the I, Woods I re- I Press I read, read that com. wrong that's okay. That's okay. You've got a lot on your plate over there. <laughs> um, you know, the book, I, I tell you, that this is one way for me to kind of brag a little about it. Um, all four of the major library journals have given it rave reviews for the quality of the work um, and actually the hopefulness in, in the work. Um, I think it's a book that will edify and change anyone. And I know that it changes the lives of its creators. Um, it is a beloved book by teenagers. Mm-hmm. In the schools where we have them, it's, a, it's one of the most stolen books. <laughs> um, which is always a good sign. That's,
3: that's, that's a badge of honor. <laughs> right.
1: Um, you know, I want to tell you one little, little story about yeah, a kid who years ago, um, Anthony... He, he had, oh, he had had a really difficult life, and including father's incarceration, but family became homeless. It just really tough times. And he had a lo- for a long time, he couldn't really bring himself, he was not a great writer by any means, but he, he worked and worked and worked with some of the teaching artists on this piece. And one day, he said, I, I've written this poem, and he stood up in front of the room and read it. And you could just see him change in that moment. Years passed. He graduated from high school. About three years later, he phoned me and my husband one day, and he said, hey, would you guys meet me for a cup of coffee? I wanted to talk to you about something. I, I, I have a favor to ask. So we met him for coffee, and he, he looked great, and he was telling us he had this new job and he was doing really well. But then he said, but between high school and now, I went through some hard times. And for a period of time, I was homeless and living in my car. And one day, my car was broken into and everything was taken. Um, and Dennis and I were sort of gearing ourselves up for him to ask us if he could borrow some money or furniture. We, we didn't know. Right. And he sort of looked at us shyly and he said... You know, one of the things they took was my pops' anthology, and I—it <laughs> was so important to me. And I wondered if I could get another copy. So that's what it meant to him. Right? Wow. Um, it was such a moving moment. But I, but I've seen that again and again. I see what their faces look like when they hold it in their hands and they see themselves in print, and so it's certainly healing for them. But I, I do know. It's um, a board member got his copy a few weeks ago and called me and he said I had planned to sit down and sort of put some sticky notes in the book of the ones I really liked, and at the end of two <laughs> hours I had this book and it was every page we had a sticky note, so um, so I I think it's really edifying and, and is this and is this an annual publication? It is. It is. Um, this Dreamcatchers. Each one has a different title, but Dreamcatchers is our seventh publication. It is the first one. It is the most um, uh, highly produced and curated. Um, we are now working with this um, inter- a national distributor, and um, so we've kind of upped the game a little bit. <laughs> but they're yeah. all—they're all really beautiful. Um, they're not all on outofthewoodspress.com just yet, but will be. Um, they are on our Pops Clubs website, which is popsclubs.org.
3: You're reading my mind. I was just going to ask you where people could find out more about uh, not only getting the book, Dreamcatchers, but about the Pops Clubs. Is that is that the best resource for.
1: Yeah, popsclubs.org is the website, and there's all kinds of information there. Um, and. The email is info at and we respond pretty quickly to any, any email we get and happy to, and really happy to talk to anybody who wants to learn more about it. Um, either it would be myself or our program director usually responds to those emails quickly.
3: Well, Amy, this is a great project, and kudos to you and, and your husband for the work you do and all the people that help you do it.
1: Yeah, there's, it takes a village.
3: Yeah. Amy, thanks so much for spending this time with me and uh, best of luck with the kids and with the books and all that.
1: Thanks a million, Tom. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the time you've devoted to it and it's been great talking to you and I hope we'll meet in in Michigan one day.
3: (laughs) Well, I hope so too. And uh, and we'll give a little call out to uh, some of the educators uh, here in Michigan that they should look around and find out more about this fabulous
1: and that'd be great that'd be great I'd okay well take care fantastic thanks tom okay, okay. bye-bye that
3: was uh, amy friedman the founder of pops the club pain of the prison system and uh, um, at, at least uh partially the the curator of uh, a collection of work by kids that are being impacted by mass incarceration, um, called dream catchers, and we're going to take a uh, break, but we got we still got lots more Tom Sumner programs straight ahead, so stay tuned. <laughs>
4: Up
2: there on that
4: rooftop. You ain't got no ID. where well, you're gonna have to come along with me. Christmas is sure to fail. Santa is stuck in jail. Miss Clark's freaked, and the elves are on the street trying to raise money for bail. Christmas is sure to fail if we
2: can't get Santa out
4: of jail. So they took him to the judge in the middle of the night, and the judge said, Yeah, I think you're nuts, all right. But I'll give you one chance to prove me wrong. Make me believe you're the real Santa Claus. And if you can do that right, well I'll let you sleep it off at home tonight.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> Santa hunkered down low and he put his finger on the side of his nose and he started humming Christmas carols real
2: low. He said, When you were five years old name was Greg. You left me milk and cookies and a note that said,
0: Dear Santa, all I really want is a puppy. I love him forever and I'll name him Buddy.
2: And so you did for 15 years till Buddy passed away and you cried many tears and you lost your faith like so many do. But I got a little something to tell you that's true. The love you give never really goes away. And it all comes back on Christmas Day. So here's a little something that I want to give to you.
4: And Santa handed him a puppy named Buddy Jr. Well, hey, what did the judge said. Yeah, man, don't leave us hanging. Well, the judge sat back and his face turned white. His lips started quivering, there were tears in his eyes. He looked at that puppy wrapped up in his sleeve and said, Good
2: Good night.